now playing on the Parker Edison Project. I look into places expanding ideas of education. And I didn't think of it as ethnic studies, right? That's what I wouldn't teach ethnic studies back then. I taught humanities, but caring about what kids had to say, where they come from, who they are. That was my passion. That's up next on the Parker Edison Project. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Mr. Thompson from uh, my high school. I think because one, he was my humanities teacher, and so he introduced me to a lot of topics that I was kind of aware with, but we were able to dive a lot deeper into. Uh, like every day was a new day. He ignored my red eyes sometimes, you know. He like showing up every week or two in class, you know. He kind of looked past that. He talked to me with concern sometimes, and then all the time with compassion. This is Belinda from National City, California, and you're now listening to the Parker Edison Project on KPBS. Good morning, and welcome to Season 3 of the PEP. I want to start this episode off by saying, fuck you, Mark Serafin of Sarah High School. You're quite possibly the worst thing any budding mind should have ever been stifled by. Because of you, I still hate math. This is a true impact of teachers. A little bit raw? Hella, hella real. It's similar to being an airplane pilot in the sense that doing a poor job can ruin multiple lives simultaneously. On the flip side, a good teacher is good medicine, repairing future long-term ailments that'll trouble us as a whole. This episode explores the recent and wonderful practices that are being put into play to teach curriculums that serve the whole person, not just a series of educational goal marks that merely yield a spot in the workforce. These are efforts that genuinely educate the whole person, factoring in mental, physical, and social components. I met my first guest in a professional capacity when she was assigned to my school campus to get staff up to speed on an important course and concept. What's your name and what do you do for a living? My name is Kay Flewelling and right now I'm an ethnic studies resource teacher at the San Diego Unified School District. What is ethnic studies? Ethnic studies is an academic discipline. It's the study of the perspectives, contributions, experiences, and knowledge of people of color with the central focus on anti-racism. How did you get involved? I used to be a high school teacher. I taught humanities um, to ninth graders down in Chula Vista. And I've always just cared about students finding themselves. Like, I'm teaching, you know, history. So, like, our students connecting to the curriculum. And I didn't think of it as ethnic studies, right? That's what I wouldn't teach ethnic studies back then. I taught humanities, but caring about what kids had to say, where they come from, who they are. That was my passion. Um, and then when I transitioned into my doctorate program at the University of San Diego, I just had this wonderful opportunity to work with Dr. James Stabiner. Um, he has a long history in ethnic studies. He used to be an admin at a school up in Sacramento where they like embedded ethnic studies into everything. And he taught ethnic studies as well up there. And so he's kind of one of the pioneers of bringing ethnic studies into high schools and, and K-12 spaces. 
And I got to work with him and he was like, hey, you know, I'm trying to connect with the local people in San Diego who are doing this work. Can you go find them for me? Because he was, you know, not from here. And so I started sending out emails and finding out like who's doing this work. And it turns out to be a bunch of people doing this work down in San Diego. At that time, it was it still hadn't really been implemented. It was just an idea. And so I started just connecting with those people more from the university side, looking at helping San Diego Unified implement ethnic studies into their classes and get it going. Um, and then I finished my doctoral work and this position opened up and I just, I was like, yes, like this is it. And, and since I had that experience as a teacher, I was like, this was always something that I wanted to do. And I love how ethnic studies pushes even further because it's not just about students' identities. It's also about the systems that they're a part of and helping them understand how those systems and how that history influences who they are and then ideating what's the world going to look like after this as well. We like to say ethnic studies isn't just a content, right? It's not just about the stories, but it's also about how you're doing those stories. So students are really engaging with it as whole people. They're developing a sense of who they are and of imagining what they want that world to be. So I love that that comes through. What are some benchmark ideas of ethnic studies? Well, I think what you just mentioned is, is a huge benchmark idea, making sure that we're teaching ideas about who students are through a lens of not seeing trauma as something individual, but seeing it as something systemic. Mm. And so that's, that's a huge thing. Um, Ethnic Studies has a really interesting origin story because it came out of a student-led movement in the, in the 1960s. They called themselves the Third World Liberation Front, kind of building off of those so-called Third World Nations that were fighting for self-determination and decolonization in the wake of like the world wars. What they were doing is they were fighting to see more representation of faculty of color, more representation of their own histories, and demanding to see an ethnic studies college. At that time, that was the longest student strike, five months long. And I love that because when you think about ethnic studies as a discipline, you're thinking this is led by the students. This was advocacy from students for this space. And so now when I'm in ethnic studies spaces, I just, I think about those young folks like doing this work with all of the unbridled passion of the youth. They pushed and they made it happen. By the 80s, you saw there were hundreds of ethnic studies colleges. I want to ask about critical race theory and is there mm -hmm. a connection between mm -hmm. ethnic studies and critical race theory? Yeah, well, if there's a connection, I would say simply yes, there is a connection between critical race theory and ethnic studies. Are they synonymous? No. Um, ethnic studies is an academic discipline. It's, it has a specific type of content. It's interdisciplinary as a subject that we study in school. Critical race theory is a theory. It was developed in the 70s by Harvard law professor Derek Bell, um, and he just was using it to understand the way race and racism become embedded in social institutions like law and policy. And when you put on that, that lens, when you wear that set of glasses, you can start to see things that you might not have otherwise seen. That's what that is. Now, ethnic studies, you know, it also deals with, you know, the perspectives and knowledge and experiences of people of color with a focus on anti-racism. So we're also pointing out the way race and racism is interacting in our lives and in institutions. So it does some of that, but it uses other theories as well. It's not, that's one lens that you can look at, but we can also look at things through the lens of class. We can look at things through the lens of gender. So we're using a lot of different glasses that we put on to help students make sense of the complex world that we live. 
together and make sense of complex things. Um, I think that they get coupled together a little bit in mainstream media because we've seen a lot of legislation in the recent years attacking critical race theory, seeing it as prescriptive instead of what it is, which is descriptive. It's not telling us how we have to make conclusions about things we see, but there's some discomfort because the ways that we have looked at things before privilege certain voices over others and made invisible certain voices. And so now when you're saying like, let's make those things visible, then people get a little uncomfortable. They're like, well, I hadn't seen that before. Like that's a first step in starting to build cross-racial understanding by just acknowledging and respecting perspectives that we previously were not acknowledging or respecting at all. And so I think that there is a connection but they're not the same thing because um, ethnic studies, you know, it predates critical race theory, so it can't be the same thing. Mm-hmm. They come from really different spaces. What's the end result with the ethnic studies course? Yeah, ideally at the end of an ethnic studies course, students are leaving with a developed sense of who they are. Mm-hmm. They're leaving with a renewed sense of themselves, um, their racialized and ethnic identities. Mm-hmm. They're leading with a developing an appreciation of the stories of people of color and indigenous communities. They're developing a critical consciousness, being able to critically read the world and understand the world, understand their place in the world, and reflect on what they might do in that world. Ultimately, at the end of an ethnic studies class, I would hope students would be able to conceptualize what a more just future would look like. So, How can interested listeners support? I would say, first and foremost, it's to do exactly what those young kids were doing back in the 60s, it's to advocate. If you have a local school, we go to board meetings and ask for this, ask when is this happening, ask where is ethnic studies. Like, and then I think the second thing they can do is they can learn what ethnic studies is and isn't, and they can share about that to kind of demystify, because there's some idea that this is supposed to teach kids to hate themselves or teach them that, that, that they don't belong, but in fact it is to do the exact opposite of that, is to teach kids who they are, what their histories are, to build cross-racial understandings so that we can conceptualize a better future for us all. That's what it's about. It's the purpose. And so learn and share. Equal is we all need vitamin C, so we all get two free oranges. Fairness is when you're allergic to oranges, so you get two free vitamin C pills instead. Equal is us all getting the same. Fair is us all getting exactly what we need. This is a powerful gateway concept. Grasping it makes it a lot easier to understand how black and brown people need a more inclusive education, where white and European people might be able to benefit from realigning perspectives to factor in info that might have been excluded from their education. I'm going to switch lanes. Still in the spirit of alternate education, I study a lot of places, and one of the most intricately detailed of them is Cole Kushner's podcast, Dissect, a series that thoughtfully analyzes songs and albums to a collegiate degree. I'm absolutely honored to have him on just for a few minutes. If you're an art nerd like I am, this is for you. Howdy, y'all. This is Movies Millennials Should Movie. I'm your host, King Dice, musician, social commentator, and connoisseur of only the finest cheeseburger. It is my pleasure to introduce my guest, Cole Kushner. How's it going? Well, Cole, let's just jump right into it. I really want to know about your TED Talk experience very nerve-wracking as you might imagine so i felt really comfortable in the material because i kind of treated it as a truncated version of a dissected episode but before going on stage it was you know heart heart racing that type of thing but 
uh, all that to say, I felt actually very proud of myself that I executed it in a way that I did. When you accomplish the thing that you're nervous about, it's, there's like really no better feeling. From a personal standpoint, it was a definitely kind of a career highlight. It was deeply impactful. If for some reason our listeners are living under a rock and they don't know what the Dissect podcast is, uh, maybe you could tell us like what it is and how it came about. It's long story short is I've been a lifelong musician. Started playing music when I was, you know, 13 or something. I just love music ever since the moment I, you know, picked up the first guitar. I was self-taught musician. Then I went to, to college to study music formally for the first time. And I really fell in love with that educational world in terms of like using music to broaden your worldview and, and give yourself kind of an education. When I was studying like Beethoven in college, not only do you have to dissect the music, you actually have to dissect who Beethoven was and the era that he was living in to really understand everything about this piece because all that's reflected in the music. Right. And so really the genesis of the show of Dissect was like, what if I did that, but with contemporary artists? What if I studied Kendrick Lamar in the same way that I studied Beethoven? And that was really the initial premise of the show. Like, what if we treated the, the artists that we're going to study a hundred years from now, right now? Like, what if we did that today and don't, don't wait till they, after they die? Essentially, what I do is pick one album per season and every episode of that season, I dissect one song off the album. And so it becomes a pretty comprehensive look at one album each season. How do you decide which albums you're going to dissect? Yeah, what's influencing music? What's influencing culture? What are those artists that are like really, you know, Frank Ocean's a great example of someone that really had a big impact already on how music sounds now, what, what the younger generations are kind of working towards. Because there's a lot of great albums, but not all of them can be quote unquote dissected to the level that I do on the show doesn't make them bad or good it's just like what what's going to be good for the show like what has enough stuff going on musically lyrically thematically that can carry essentially what ends up being like a 13 hour analysis what has been the most memorable moment of your career so far I would say I mean even just being able to do dissect for a living really probably the most life-altering in terms of my career. The first two seasons of the show, I was just doing them while working a full-time job, and I had just had a daughter. So it was something I was just doing at night as a personal passion project that I didn't really expect amount to much at all. You know, signing with Spotify and at that moment, then being able to quit my job and like just do Dissect full-time for the past, what, five years now? That was, I would say, the most memorable thing. Let's jump into today's theme, which is movies with amazing soundtracks. What we do is we, we give our answer and then we rate it using some emojis. So today I'm going to go with Black is King. You who were formed by the heat of the galaxy. What a thing to be both unique and familiar. To be one and the same. And still, unlike any other. Black is King is a film that is sort of a reimagining of Disney's The Lion King, starring the Queen Bee herself, Beyonce Knowles. And the soundtrack features Kendrick Lamar, Childish Gambino, Jay-Z, Wizkid, Major Lazer, Pharrell Williams. I could keep going. One thing I really appreciate about the soundtrack is that it gives a platform to African artists and Afrobeats as a genre. And I'm going to give our listeners three songs I really liked off the soundtrack to listen to when they get a chance. And those are going to be already with Beyonce. I'm, and I'm, I'm, I apologize in advance if I butcher these names, but Shadawale, 
and Major Lazer. There's Scar with 070 Shake and Jesse yep. Reyes. My last one that I really like is Don't Jealous Me with Techno, Lord Africana, Mr. Easy, and Yemi Alade. I'm going to rate. Pick. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going <laughs> to rate. Blackest King is going to get five black squares. It's deep. It's amazing. And I think it's a, a gem for the culture. Cole, what did you decide on? My first pick, I guess I'll go with Throwback. I love Alfred Hitchcock. And my favorite movie by him probably is Vertigo. Do you believe that someone out of the past, someone dead, can enter and take possession of a living being? You jumped into the bay. You didn't know where you were. You guessed, but you didn't, didn't know. Jump. I didn't jump, I tell you. Why, told did me you jump? Why did you jump? Vertigo has an amazing soundtrack composed by Bernard Herrmann. Super haunting, beautiful, mysterious, everything you'd want from a Hitchcock film. He scores it beautifully. So if you haven't seen Vertigo, I think it's a brilliant movie. Beautiful, gorgeous stuff. So I would have to, I'm trying to think of what one would be. Oh, you know, it has to be the um, the spiral emoji because the okay. Vertigo, I'll give it five spirals because the uh, <laughs> Vertigo is, the, the, the thing is spiral. So, so we'll just go with the spiral. Cool. Where can people catch the newest season of Dissect? A partner with Spotify, so it's kind of exclusive to the Spotify platform. You don't actually need a premium account. Uh, you just need the app. A free account will work to listen to podcasts on there. So anyone can listen to it. Uh, but yeah, it's on Spotify. We're doing How uh, the Creators Igor right now. We just started the season a couple weeks ago. This has been Movies Millennials Should Movie. I am your host, King Dice, musician, social commentator, and connoisseur of fine cheeseburgers. Uh, you guys keep watching movies and we'll keep talking about it. Peace. Stay tuned for more tuned of the PEP. In 2023, hip-hop is turning 50 years old, and there's no better way to celebrate this monumental anniversary than by playing the Questions Hip-Hop Trivia Game, based on the acclaimed live event turned online show and podcast of the same name. The Questions Hip-Hop Trivia features 300 cards to challenge and entertain everybody from casual listeners to the most die-hard liner note reading rap nerds. The Questions Hip-Hop Trivia, Available wherever you get games and books or order yours at www.questionshiphop.com. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Now back to the Parker Edison Project on KPBS. Welcome back. Alternative education. Okay, let's take this concept and go a little further. The mind is amazing, but how do we feed it? And where do we get our fuel? 
It's a scientifically proven fact that a properly fed and watered body is more productive. I wonder if there are local places that educate us on how to feed both. Who are you and where are we? I'm Jenny Barajas, and we're at Oliver Gardens and Learning Center. That's Jenny. She's been assigned to show me around. What part of the city are we in? We're located in National City, mm-hmm. so just below the gas lamp quarter. Describe what you do here. So I'm the director of youth programs here, and uh, I oversee all of our educational programs. So that includes our field trip program, where fourth graders uh, come and experience three fourth grade field trips each school year. And for National School District, uh, who has 10 elementary schools, that's 10 schools, all fourth graders get to come and hang out here and learn some outdoor science and nutrition education, then that's just one of our programs. We also have a school-based program where we are in all of uh, the 10 elementary schools, delivering three lessons to each student from uh, TK all the way through sixth grade, Mm -hmm. uh, right in their school gardens where they're growing food. We're also doing high school internship and leadership programs with our high school students uh, where they're able to learn about sustainable urban agriculture, basic gardening skills and kitchen skills, Mm -hmm. as well as learning about social justice and taking action in their community. How does social justice play into that? Social justice is an important component to all the things that we do here uh, because students learning about uh, different fruits and vegetables, where they grow, and having uh, access to fresh food is, uh, is very important. And historically in National City, there isn't as much fresh food access as there are in other communities. So um, exposing students to that is really important. And that's something that also inspires them to take action in their community in order to advocate for. Jenny, how, how did this all start? In 2006, this property was donated by the Walton family to be used as a space for nutrition and garden education. The Walton family used to live at this property and they have a son named Lucas. And when Lucas was three, he developed a form of rare cancer. And so a mother, as what a mother does, is try to do everything in her control to cure her son. And so the only thing in her control that she could do at that time was to grow organic fruits and veggies for him so that he could have the best nourishment as possible. Lucas ended up beating cancer Mm -hmm. and fruits and vegetables specifically was not the exact cure for Lucas. (laughs) However, it created a biome, you know, it created a system that was strong so that he could fight and, and, and he could beat the he could beat the disease. What would you say is one of the most important values that you hope to instill in students in the process? Well, I think what we're hoping to instill is um, a desire to advocate for uh, having healthy healthy relationships, um, eating nourishing foods, um, advocating for access to fresh foods, and incorporating more fruits and vegetables to their plates. And so coming here, uh, you know, we call our, um, all of our participants adventurous eaters because a lot of times they're trying things for the first time or they haven't, um, they haven't cooked with it before or they haven't learned about a certain cultural type of cooking. Mm-hmm. And so this is a great place for um, people to get more comfortable with lots of fruits and vegetables and understanding why it's a benefit for them to consume them. We take uh, pride in, you know, forming partnerships with organizations such as Brightside Produce, mm-hmm. who are working actively to partner with 
local farms to get fresh food into corner stores so that folks are able to walk to their local market and instead of having to reach for things that are not as nourishing are able to get some culturally appropriate fruits and vegetables right there without having to find a way to the grocery store. Right, right. Jenny, how can interested listeners find Olive Wood? How can they be a part? olivewoodgardens.org, mm-hmm. O-R-G. Mm-hmm. And on our website, we've got ways to support our organization. So there's a volunteer application on the website, as well as a list of all of our current events and happenings. Mm-hmm. It's not always the brightest world that we live in, but today's guest made me a little more optimistic about the direction things are going. I started this episode with a little bit of a rant regarding a math teacher that affected me negatively. A repeat thread in this season has been list, so I'll continue with that and do this quick list of teachers I actually owe a debt of gratitude. Bill Marshall, Bell Junior High, who put up with me just being a weird seventh grader. Al Pentis, Boone Elementary, who gave me old school Navy life lessons like a firm handshake. Kasimu Harley, Bell Junior High, the first cool black professional role model I ever saw in my neighborhood. And Henry Miller from Audubon Elementary School, who saw how badly I wanted to be smart and just gave me a place to do it. Thank you and thank all the teachers who are pushing boundaries, concepts, and students to their highest forms. I'm going to close this show with a track I would play for 7th grade me. This is from a local artist who I hope gets more shine. He deserves it. This is Mike Holmes. The track is Mr. Introverted. You ain't got the moves like Shagger. Got a voice like Frank Try to wash away your habits Before you're gonna clog your sink I gotta get my shit together uh. Don't wanna spend my whole life tethered Yeah Comfort zone to touch the throne They juxtapose cause nothing gold Can stay the way it is Keep it quiet, I read the eyes I lead the room, I need these tones To pay the dividends I've been at it so long So long, so long I've been at it so long Waste time sitting in the same room I grew up in I feel safe behind these Tell the fish from service, do this on my lonely shit. I try to lift the burden, work it's like indentured service. I should serve a different purpose, tell a different story. Yeah, he kinda old, he got a nasally voice. True, he kinda grown, he should be ashamed of his choice. He watched the world around him changing the story. I mean, I watched the world around me changing the story. Shit, Mr. Introverted, it's just a little risk aversion. Thanks for stopping in. The Parker Edison Project is produced and hosted by yours truly, Parker Edison, and of course, the good people at Platform Collection. Be sure to subscribe and catch the next episode on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any comments or questions, visit theparkeredisonproject.com or hit us on Instagram at the P.E. Project. Chris Reyes is head of audio production. 
Lisa Jane Morissette is operations manager, and John Decker is associate general manager for content. This programming is made possible in part by the KPBS Explorer Content Fund. I love saying that because it reminds me of Sesame Street. Y'all stay safe out there.